All right, welcome to another episode of the Critical Absorption Podcast. I'm Kevin Marchand. And I'm Jared Clough. If. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or, being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those who are imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distant run, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. All right, so that is a poem from the poet Rudyard Kipling called If. We actually heard it this past week on the Jacko podcast, which we both love. I know everyone who listens to this podcast will know that we mentioned Jacko from time to time. And we just thought that it was a good way to open up our discussion on Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, the second part of that book today, rather than reading lines from his book the way we did last time, we thought that was a nice encapsulation, I would say almost of his philosophy in a poem. And additionally, we, I mean, always good to resurrect a great poem from the dead, so Jocko already brought it to life, we'll breathe a little more into it and get people thinking about it here. So now we'll, we'll jump into book seven now of Marcus Aurelius. And I guess we wanted to talk about this first section, right, about wickedness. So do you, do you want to read that one, Jared? How about you take the lead? Sure. All right. So I'll just read it. This is wickedness. This is what you have often seen. And you should have this thought ready to hand against any eventuality. I have seen this often before. Generally, wherever you look, you will find the same things. The histories, ancient, more recent, and modern, are full of them. Cities and households are full of them today. There is nothing new. All is familiar and all short-lived. So, ironically, this is an interesting one for us to start with, because one thing we were talking about last night when we were discussing our upcoming discussion on this book was that last time we were kind of... I mean, we talked about a lot of the things that we thought Marcus Aurelius got right, just because he gets so much right in his philosophy, but... We, we thought we should be a little more careful this time not to, to make it clear that we're not looking at this as something like the Old Testament or 
something where there's nothing in here that can be questioned or nothing in here that we can say, uh Yeah, it's good to find not, those spots that you might say, I'm not, I don't know if I'm 100% with that right, statement. Right, so, so we have a few of those coming up in, in this section. I think this, right off the bat, this is kind of one that we were talking about last night. Like, is there actually nothing new? I mean, we were, we were talking about the fact that Marcus Aurelius lived in the second century AD. He doesn't know what a space shuttle is. He doesn't know what a skyscraper is. He doesn't know what modern medicine is. An atom bomb. An atom bomb. Like, yeah, so I mean, so I guess, yeah, I guess we'll just launch I mean, into that. You had some interesting things about the atom bombs. What, what's incredible to me is the atom bomb is the extreme of all human weaponry, you know, that we have ever created. It's the, the first weapon that you actually become aware that there is a weapon out there that could not just kill a man, and kill them instantly, but we're talking a city, civilization, and you think about it from Marcus Aurelius, the idea that an entire civilization could wipe out by a mere bomb in the snap of your fingers, that it seems, I don't know, I don't know if he can conceive of that. Could he conceive of armies raiding a village, bringing an entire city down in a matter of a day, maybe? Right. Sure. He could con consider that. But there's factors involved of an army compared to a plane that can just drop, go over a city and just go boop and have the whole city combust. Right. And I think so there's, there's pieces to the environment in which we live that have completely changed. And I think the atom bomb is just an extreme example, but there's even weaponry in medieval times that I don't think the Romans even conceived of at the time, even I would even say like the catapult. Like the, I don't know if the catapult was something that would even be, I mean, I'm sure like, I, it's tough to say. I mean, even something as simple as a gun. You know? A gun, yeah. exactly. So this is tough to say, it's, it really is. So <clears throat> I think the big question is, is when he says there is nothing new, what exactly do you think Aurelius is stating by that? Right, so this is what this is what I was going to say. I mean, to play devil's advocate a little bit, I am wondering if he <sighs> means that there's actually nothing new. Because even in his life, I mean, the, the erecting of these cities, like, I mean, that was new. So I think he means more in, the, in terms of our inner experience and how we, how we experience pain and fear and loss and grief and all these things that are they don't change our human oh, qualities human qual yeah our human so i mean and i brought this up last night i'm gonna walk you into a little trap here to say it on the air but yes he there was no atom bomb but what they did have was fear of god fear fear of god plaguing the earth with another flood just like he did to noah or sending the fire next time as he promised so they did on some level fear that this whole thing could just evaporate in any second if we're not burying the right number of children under the post holes of our houses or whatever it is if we're not making the right propitiations to to god if we if we fail as christians yeah but then you had a my argument to that was that the atom bomb is a um material thing that actually exists in the world whereas god itself i mean i think at, at this time we safe to say is still an illusion it's still a a belief i mean faith in what is not seen you know, and I, th I think that's a fair assumption of right. assumption of even have a Christian say faith in what is not seen. Right. But an atom bomb is clearly something that is seen. I, I think a big part also is what's fascinating when you look back at 
Romans and Greeks. What's fascinating is that us as humans, if we were in the same civilization, or like, okay, so say we went back in time and talked with them, our makeup as humans would not be any different. Our, like, the fact of our skulls, our evolution, uh, the evolution of our species would not be different in terms of our bodies that I, I don't think even at all. Right. I, I think it would be the exact same. Like if, he, if we were to transport him to that stump right there, we're in the middle of the woods right now, and we got rid of that backpack and all these things, the papers and stuff, he might not think much. He might say they're just wearing really strange clothes. <laughs> right. It's like, never, seen, never seen people wear clothes like that. <laughs> right. You know, or... But then we take him out of these woods. He's experiencing something new. But the question is, are the feelings... But what, what I'm getting at, too, is you could dress him up in today's society and he could walk around the streets and no, look no different than right. any other man. Despite the fact that he'll have shit running down his leg. Like, other than that, it'll be sure. exactly the same. So, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he... I think that's an interesting point, and I wonder if that's what he means by nothing is new, where our ability to face change, our ability to ride the river of universal nature is the same as it always has been. Right. And I wonder if... I think that's what he means. I think, I think what he means is your ability... I think he's strictly talking about the directing mind and how to use your mind. And I think he's stating that, don't tell me that your world is different. Don't tell me that people have changed. Because he's going to say, no, people, ha you're still a human. And therefore, all is familiar. <clears throat> the all is familiar because people lived before you just as you live now. It doesn't matter the world or the circumstances, but you are still a human being. That, that, that's the crucial point, I think, because I actually, just sitting here just now, I thought of a better example <laughs> than their fear of God. There was something a little more like the atom bomb. Disease and sickness. Yep. Like, they were just un explainable diseases that just wiped out entire civilizations and, and so I mean I bet that fear was in the back of their mind somewhere but his point I think as you just said about the directing mind is just as it makes no sense to if you're going to want to if you want to live a good life to wake up every morning shit in your pants about the possibility that we could <clears throat> all evaporate in the next moment if Russia drops an A-bomb on us. It also would make no sense in his time to wake up every day and not leave your bed for fear of going outside and getting sick. In, in each instance, you have to live and you have to yeah. just deal with the uncertainty. We're all going to die anyway, as he likes to remind us. So it makes no sense to... So we're all... So that's his argument that nothing changes. We're all in the same situation. We're all living this finite life with these unknowable circumstances and you just have to move forthrightly into the unknown it's yeah. the same always i agree so onward onward all right is that should, should we leave that at book seven because we wanted to kind of or is there I something there's else some other oh there's yeah. definitely some other yeah, ones there is because yeah book seven was long but yeah for more than well that. you wanted number 16 number 16 you to talk right. about that yeah yeah all right i mean this piggybacks off of what uh what we were just saying about the directing mind so we'll talk about this the directing mind does not disturb itself. For example, it does not frighten itself or lead itself to desire. So rather than read the whole paragraph, I guess I'll just leave it there because that is, we already talked about the not frighten itself part. This is, this is the directing mind that we were just talking about. It does not frighten itself. It does not spend each day shirking from responsibility and just and, and cowering under the, under the weight of 
hunt the unknown, but also he's adding this other part that it does not lead itself to desire. So just as, just as in second century Rome, it was a waste of your life to wake up every morning at 11 a.m. and walk down to the pub and drink your day away, as it is today. I mean, same same thing. It, it, they, they dealt with the same type of problems in terms of trying to deal with instant gratification. I mean, so here's another example where we could kind of link this back to number one. Are cell phones and the internet something that is completely different, or is it merely just another pull on our instant gratification circuit? Is it, would Marcus Aurelius say, oh, I recognize that. That's no different than a good ale. It's no different than sitting around shooting craps all day with the guys. It's no different than wasting your life. Like, it's just the same. But succumbing to pleasure, I think, yeah. is a huge point of that. I think if Aurelius was alive today, one of the big things you would see in our culture is our, how much we use expedience more than meaningfulness. I think rule eight. How rule seven? Seven. I think it that strikes so clear in today's society. The idea that everything is so convenient these days, so convenient that I think he would just ask us, was it more meaningful to put more work in? And I mean, in many ways, I get it. You know, some things. It's the future moving forward, and almost to fight it would be going against natural selection in itself. But I, I mean, I do wonder. I do. I think this day and age, we listened to a podcast yesterday, and I think one thing that they both Sam Harris Peterson and the moderator uh, Brett Weinstein, Brett Weinstein, what they were <laughs> really addressing was that this day and age, it seems that what we're lacking is the foundation of more like a foundation of a common moral landscape, a common ground of a moral landscape that pushes people forward through purpose and meaning. And I think, and to him, I think Brett Weinstein's the one who set all that up, pretty much stating that what we're here to really discuss is just to find some commonality between two different people uh, about really, I think the moral landscape was the big sub, I think that's a big subject as a whole yes. in that entire conversation. But I think that's very true. I think in this day and age, when you look at how a lot of people are acting, or a lot of what we have for habits and what is around us and the expedience that we make our decisions and the convenience that things are given to us, I think it, it does, uh, it is in favor of expedience more than meaningfulness, right. I would say. Because for all, for all religions, myriad limitations and shitty aspects, there was a time where you had a code and you live by, and if you do that, you un, you re, you're like, yep, I'm moving up toward a peak. I'm moving up toward a peak on the moral landscape. But now we've sort of lost our moorings. We no one really knows what to do. We could be in the midst right now of just walking down into a valley, in an yeah. ever deeper valley, and just not know it. So we need to sort of reconstruct this moral landscape around something maybe like meaning instead of expedience. And, and to even go yeah. further than that, I think there's so many people nowadays that it seems like to have an idea of what to do almost to be suspect to think that you have a moral landscape or to think that there is a spectrum of good and evil which you could live your life by it a lot I, I get this reaction almost sometimes as if that's dangerous or bad in itself or right. that that I am the fool for even giving myself such a spectrum to live by how could you say it's bad to make women live in a 
dense cloth bag in the middle of the desert in a 120 degree summer, dude. You're, what, what do you, who do you think you are, God? And I, I think that's Jocko's point, is you could say that there's a lot of gray, so there's no point in a good and bad spectrum, but then he states, but then you see true evil. And the way Peterson and Harris both talk about it is, it, once you can acknowledge what true evil is and what the worst possible bad is, then a good must exist as well. And the way Peterson, I think, puts it is the good is just the direction away from the bad. Right. The good is just, it's not necessarily a utopia that it's ever reached. It's just a, a path away from the black hole. Right. And what that, and, and Harris's big point is what that also means is that if you're going to admit that, you're going to admit that the worst possible misery for everyone is bad and that that means there's also a good, it means in each moment you could be going the wrong direction and not know it. Like if you're not taking the time to figure out what is actually good, you could just be sure. moving towards the That's way. a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. That not, yeah, yeah. And that's why we need to discuss these things. And that's that, why we read Aurelius to get some knowledge that we don't have enough time to gather in a single lifetime. So what else do we got from book seven? We're nearing our 20 minute All right. Well, you have this idea of um, values. We could talk about that quickly, that not to judge a man. Yes, what number was that? I think it was before 16. I know 26 is the passage I wanted to talk about. I got you, number three. All right. Yeah, so, I, yeah. People aren't going to like this one, but I have something to say about this one. So, bear in mind that a person's worth is measured by the worth of what he values. All right. So that's not a denial of every human's intrinsic value. We were talking about this before. He always, he, he, he says you should treat every human with respect. But, but... But there's this other acknowledgement that he makes as well, which is if a man spends his entire life cursing himself under his breath and hating himself and valuing nothing of importance, why does his judgment matter to you? Why does his value of you matter if he doesn't value anything good? And, and this is where this this is something we definitely forget in this world where every opinion is equal, where every like on Facebook is the same. It's but but we don't know the value of each person there. A like if Sam Harris liked my post or if Barack Obama liked my post, it's different than if some 13-year-old kid in his mom's basement liked my post, but yet it shows up just the same on Facebook and when we're sitting in a classroom and everyone every student's talking, well, is every student's opinion equally valid? What if one person scoured the text three times, underlining and writing in the margins, and one kid didn't even read it, but decides that he yeah. can look at it before class and go in there and say something? Why are they of equal value? Why are those? Why do we think that those opinions are of equal value? They're not equal humans. Well, I think what's also, I think I think we can think about value there also in a, a, a light of. If I if I I'm walking with a friend, right, and that friend is say in a, I don't know, they're more comfortable in city environments and maybe we're walking in the woods and maybe they're just talking to me a bunch. Here we go. Here's a great example. Better example. You, you have a roommate. Some roommates come home and they feel like they have to talk to their roommate. Right. That you come home and you're just, the second I come home, it's like a roommate is just, like trying to catch up with my day, you know? And everywhere I go, it's like they follow me around. Some people don't value silence. Right there, it's like silence itself is given a value to me. Where I like to come home and sit in silence. Right, you've been hearing shit all day. I mean, I just, this is my home time. I am downtime. 
chilling time. And maybe, and, and maybe I can talk now, to him. Talk to yeah, give yeah. me 30 minutes. But I need my silence. I need a transition here. And so there, right there is a clear difference where you might have someone who's talking to you, talking to you, talking to you. And maybe they have to come to terms with some reasons why, like, for example, they might be feeling alone and they need to talk to you a bunch. And I'm not going to state the case for every roommate out there here. Everyone's right. different. But to even come from my perspective of valuing silence... That's huge. I mean, so th there's two different values right there. And it's very clear to even state when you are judging someone, when you are going to get a, and when I say judging, I'm going to, let's put it as getting a gauge of who this person is. Acknowledging things like, instead of just stating, oh, he's a bad human being, he's an awful human being, immediately point out the value and point out the value difference here. Yes. Point out, what is it that I value that he, I don't think he's valuing? Or is there something that I don't value as much that he seems to have more value in? For example, gossip. Some people might value gossip where I hear gossip and I just walk out and say, I don't want to be part of it. Right. And, and right you, there. And you have to ask yourself, <clears throat> are these just two different peaks on the moral landscape? Am I valuing silence right now? And yes, they're gossiping, but are they actually valuing community and connection and that's what they're trying to do sure but they're so messy about it, and all they can manage is mere gossip and it's just like well what you could do is help them better realize that pinnacle and say hey i understand that you're trying to talk about something right now but rather than talking about someone who's not here what if we talk about what you think and what yeah. i think and or even saying hey i appreciate it's good to see you i just got back from work and and right now, I just I just kind of want to zen out and just chill for a bit in silence. And give me like 30 minutes, I'll come back upstairs and we'll talk. But yeah. And it's good to see you. I want to catch up. But you got to just let me transition back home here. Right. You know, and I think that's, that's really important. I think, and there are levels of values where I think people separate in terms of quality of character. I'm not going to say quality of being a human being, quality of character, yes, though. Yes, yes. We, we have kind of gotten off what he actually meant, but yeah. There's yeah, a yeah. point, I feel, where the character themselves values something so differently in the world as you may have, where you almost have to understand that you're two, you're, you're people at different realms, different spectrums. You're, you're people at very different valued places and maybe yours is considered more of the way and you could teach him to follow the path or use a directing mind to its full capability right and which is where he's getting at i guess what i'm saying is there are some values where it does seem like there's a big divide in the qualities of character yes. between you and, the and people some are, and yes because some are definitely lower peak values than others <laughs> i mean t t i think the gossip example is so so fascinating yeah. this is when i when i first heard this this was where i was like wow this is why you don't lie and this is why you don't gossip because think about this you have this friend who every time you're with him what he's doing is gossiping to you about other people and maybe you like him anyway and he's a good friend and you kind of put up with it but eventually what you'll realize is that wait a minute what's he saying about me when i'm not here Yes. And, and that's yes. because he has a corrosive character and all we can do is that. And it's like, hey, so now you can actually, you should actually, I think Aurelius is saying, value that person less. And it's a hard truth. And it's not saying I hate that person. It's not saying fuck that guy. It's just saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I should be careful about what I tell that person. Maybe 
when he, when he says things about me, I should think about what he's saying to other people about me when I'm not here, and maybe I should take what he says with a grain of salt and not really put yeah. his judgment on a, a I think Aurelius would want you to use your mind wisely with that person, really think about what to say to them. To I don't share. know if he would say necessarily value them less, but value, I think value their, their time yeah. with them less. Yes. I think like value how much effort and time you put into connecting with that person or spending time with them. He might say it might not be the best benefit to your time. Right. To so I guess the time spent with him yes. becomes less of a value. Yeah, it's not di- it's not discounting his intrinsic value as a human, but it's yes. saying it's saying okay, I have 24 <sighs> hours in the day. I have 4 hours here at home. Do I want to sit here for an hour, talk with him, listen to him gossip about other people, yeah. possibly say something that he thinks is stupid during this conversation so that then when I leave I'm the next topic of his conversation with the next people. I'm good with that. If like, you I, know I, that's going to happen and you have a good sense of the pattern of behavior, then exactly. I think that's the idea of the directing mind, focusing on what is meaningful. And I think at that point, talking with him would be very useful. If you want to re- rectify that. If you want to rectify yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But like if it's meaningful to your own personal day and journey, I don't know if that's the case. Right, you know? right. The, I guess it depends on the time and the place. Right, you can't fix every sunken boat. All right, so book eight. You want to kick us off with book eight? I know that first big blurb there, you had a few highlighted parts. So I have highlighted, if you have a true perception of how things lie, abandon any concern for reputation and be satisfied if you can just live the rest of your life, whatever remains, in the way your nature wishes. You must consider then what those wishes are and then let nothing else distract you. That's a great transition. We were just talking about that. So if something around you, if you have the rest of your life moving forward and every present moment is that life ticking away and if something in your nature is not how you wish, if you're talking with that person and there may be their values are different or maybe if you, you learn that time spent with them is not what you wish to do, then don't let anything else distract you. Don't let it distract you anymore. Pretty much, don't pay attention to it. Your attention is such a gift, as we've learned from so many people. And Sam Harris is one of the biggest ones that come to my mind. But I I think right there, your attention is the fuel of your directing mind. Yes. Um, And this is about developing your why as well. Yes. Considering deeply what your wishes are, not just running around in circles as I think he put it in one of our former books yeah. here where you're, you're not you're not just treading water all day you're actually swimming to a shore <laughs> sure yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to say about section one yeah I don't think so let's see I mean he says later on where is it to be found then these are the wishes of what you would like to do in doing what man's nature requires. And how is he to do this? By having principles to govern his impulses and actions. What are these principles? Those of good and evil. The belief that nothing is good for a human being which does not make him just, self-controlled, brave, and free. And nothing evil which does not make him the opposite of these. Is there anything you have to say about that? 
Well, I know we want to talk about what he means by justice eventually, but I don't think this is the no. the time for that. But um, I think he, he's touching upon the importance of having that spectrum, the moral landscape of good and evil. Yes. And how to, own, to even think of your own personal wishes, you must create a principle, a moral landscape for yourself of what is good and what is evil. Right. I think that's very interesting. I mean, like that, I think to go from back to a previous statement I made in this podcast already, the idea that I feel some people, when they maybe don't have a why or a, a reason to do something, they may, their moral landscape might just be not developed enough right. to the point where they have enough of a reason to avoid evil, you to can avoid e- the hell. You can even have a very vague and general <laughs> notion that, yeah, there's the spectrum of good and evil, but if you haven't taken the time to sort of fill in the details there, you actually might not understand, like, bravery, bravery is one of those things that if you're going to value that as a good, you actually have to understand that viscerally, and you, you need to have, like, seen Braveheart, or something, and you, and you, it needs to have, like, sunk into your bones somehow, you don't just, you, I mean, because let's say, let's say you end up in a situation where you see a guy picking on a, on a woman or whatever, like, real bad, or whatever, but he's a big guy, way bigger than you, and it's just a real bad situation. If you don't actually, if you haven't taken the time to say bravery is probably a higher value than my own physical comfort, you're not going to act. You're not. You're not going to. You're not going to do what needs to be done because you haven't taken the time to say no. Bravery is actually should be deeply contrasted with cowardice, and cowardice is a vice, and cowardice makes the world worse than it should be. And I should not be a coward. That's even an extreme example. It is of a an guy. extreme example. But I mean, yeah. but what's sad is that's an extreme example because there's certain braveries that I would even think of, like in a classroom, an environment where you should feel obligated to speak up and to develop your own opinion. Right. And there have been moments in a classroom where I considered the topic to be sensitive ground, and I mean, right there to even consider that sensitive ground, I think Aurelius would even say is foolish, but people do this. Right. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Where a topic comes up and you sit there and you think, I don't know if it's my place to stand up and speak about this. Then you hear someone just going after it, saying their piece, letting their ideas fly into the wind. And there's there's a certain bravery involved there. Definitely, there's yeah. a certain, and I, well, the reason why I say that is because I know that the obstacle of stepping in to defend, uh, to stand up against that man. I know a lot of people might even look at that. I know a lot of people would probably say, I wouldn't do it. And I would even ask them, all right, then put it more to a smaller level. In the classroom, would you be so cowardice that you couldn't even right. utter a word in right, that discussion? Right. And then of course, the other piece of that is that to look at a situation like the one with the guy with the girl or even in the classroom, to acknowledge that bravery is the issue here means that you've already done some of the work of delineating this moral landscape That's of good, good and evil. Because some people would look at that situation with the guy and the girl and say, what, what's the issue? What, what, why, is it, what is it, why is it my play? Why, why, why can I say that they're, they're doing it wrong? Why can I say that he's actually doing something wrong? It's just a way of... And some people, I think, would acknowledge that as wrong, but they would well, never even yeah. contemplate that intervening. Could, you could do something about it. They would it. never yeah. even think. And I think a lot of that has to do with stature. I, I, know, I just feel like, if, I, don't know, I, I've, I know people that I think would say they would never get into a fight, and I think a big part of that would possibly be that 
they just feel small. Right. They yeah. feel that it would be that could be a this could be a podcast in and of itself talking about that topic because I have quite a quite a few things to say about that. Oh one, yeah. But yeah. So let's go to number ten. Sure. Regret is a sensor of yourself yes. for missing something beneficial. The good must be something beneficial and of concern to the holy person, the holy good person. Yes. No holy good person would regret missing a pleasure. Therefore, pleasure is neither beneficial nor good. And just, I just want, before you continue with that, I just want to say for the listener, just because it's not clear that if they don't have the text in front of them, it's not holy, H-O-L-Y, it's W-H-O-L-L-Y, as in completely good The person, entire so. good, yes. the person who embodies all good. Yes. <laughs> well, I think this is another paragraph we're trying to, we're trying to maybe either strengthen Aurelius' argument by criticizing it a bit, or we're trying to really see Discard how much it. we agree with it. Yeah. Um, the idea that no holy good person would regret missing a pleasure. What do you think about that? Well, I guess it depends on what you're defining as a pleasure. Like We were talking about this earlier, and you had the great example of reaching the age of 55 and having either not married or not conceived of a child or not having raised a child or not having touched anybody's life significantly, which that's a pleasure. I mean, there are obviously parts of it that are not pleasure, but overall it's a pleasure. Would it make you not a wholly good person to regret missing that? And the question is, is that what he means by pleasure? Because you could look at that as it's not a pleasure, it's a responsibility, it's a duty. He would say that you probably missed out on a duty, you're not yeah. living up to your wholly good person. But even something like, even something like, let's say it this way, <laughs> something like this, we're not too great with our phones. Let's say I set up a dinner, we were talking about this last night, we want to start setting up dinners with sort of random people and get people together just talking about serious things. Let's say I organize a dinner around the topic of spirituality and I invite eight people, but you're on a hike for a weekend so you don't see your phone the entire time. So then the weekend ends, you turn on your phone, you missed it. You missed the dinner, you missed that pleasure. Would it be wrong for you to regret that? Or is it something other than the pleasure that you're regretting? Is it the experience? Is it the self-betterment? Is it the connection? Is it is it not mere pleasure? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. What would exactly clarify as a pleasure here? Because because I, I think there's so many other adjectives besides pleasurable that could describe that, that could describe that experience as well. Yes, like contentment. How many times would I be sitting at that table thinking to myself, I'm very, not happy, or in deep pleasure right now, but how many times would I sit back and just say, very content with my situation? And the situation could also include some moments of agitation and yes. confusion, and so it's not just a mere pleasure. You're right. So, so the, this is like, so I guess, I So mean, I guess that his definition of pleasure is something that would entirely, 100%, be something you would only participate in right. for pleasure. Right. He's talking about drinking a 12-pack or banging the hottest girl in class or something. Well, like, like even, that. here's a good example, like watching pornography, right? Yeah. Like, does, is there any other reason why someone would watch pornography besides pleasure? No. <laughs> like, I mean... 
well, I mean, some people, I, I mean, perversely, some young kids that unfortunately have access to it the way that we were just beginning to. We were probably the first generation that had access from a young age are thinking that they're going there to learn about sex and to learn about sexuality right. and to learn about how they should well, I think act that's in the fair. World. That's a fair point. Maybe and kids who haven't experienced... It's a, it's a wrong point, but it's also a fair point. Well, kids who haven't experienced intercourse or... It's basically the worst first lesson you could ever get. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's I, the, I get it's a distortion of it. It's the, it's, the, it's the absolute opposite of what you should be learning. Yes. I mean, is there is there much better ways to learn? Absolutely. But is it... Yeah, no, I, I understand that. That's, yeah. a, that's a fair assessment. It's not even an adequate way. It's a completely destructive, making yeah. our society dysfunctional way. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. there's many components, and we yeah. can talk about the whole pornography culture. Yeah. And maybe, but, I'll, maybe I'll get some yeah, people so mad at me on the internet saying, dude, I just love beating my meat. But you know what? I mean, we've, that's all, a pleasure. we've all been there, but that's yeah, a pleasure. it's just a pleasure. So, like, I mean, is there even... My thing is, is there a low moment that comes with that? Absolutely. So maybe there's that moment afterwards where you're done, where you realize you're in your room, laying by yourself, <laughs> and you ruined your socks for tomorrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> maybe. So maybe like there's there's a point where it's not pleasurable as well. But the reason why you actually still chose to do it is strictly entirely for the pleasure, whereas the experience with the dinner, the re I may have actually entered that position even due to the agitation i may have known known that i'm gonna get agitated but good someone's gonna strengthen my opinion right, i'm gonna get there and disagree with so i'm gonna Kevin disagree and, and someone's gonna destroy my opinion or someone's gonna really try to tear it apart you know what they're gonna make me stronger right and i'm, I'm gonna get agitated as hell but i'm gonna love it whereas when you look at you know watching pornography or something i don't think people look forward to that moment when they're by themselves in the room and say can't wait to be there right. you know? <laughs> like, Definitely. I, I think they're it's entirely looking at the pleasure piece so i think when you look at this let's read we it again I think we agree with them no holy good man would regret missing a pleasure so if i regretted if i went in an entire day and i was like damn didn't get a chance to watch <laughs> porn tonight or didn't get a chance to just kind of, you know, do the old masturbation. Would that make me not a holy good man? Yeah, if, if, I, if, if I you feel, spend an hour regretting it. If yeah, I'm regretting, it. or even a moment. Yeah, or even a moment. Yeah. Any moment if I regretted not doing that. I, I, I don't know. It depends. I mean, it depends what you mean by holy good person. But yeah, I mean, it, I, mean I think that... If we're going to define, if we're going to define holy good person as someone who's not giving in to whims and not giving in to desire and not giving in to even and it's a desire even that you're giving in to, <laughs> to to regret missing a pleasure. That's a desire. You're you're regretting missing something that you desire, and and it, so I don't know if I would use the language holy good person, but you're not being the best you could be. That's how I would say. It. I mean, you're not. You're I, not I, actually, I would your agree. Full potential. I, I I don't think you're, you're using your, your directing life. mind yeah. in the way that Aurelius is encouraging you to use it. Yes. So I I do think if it goes back to how he truly believes the directing mind is used that it's most beneficial, I would say I agree with the statement. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. Uh, do you have anything else from book eight, or should we? I know that was. We have twenty-eight, thirty-nine, forty-seven. Oh, right, right, right. I don't know if you wanna. Twenty-eight. 
this is the oh, I think pain, we touched yeah. upon pain and yeah. the idea that you know telling yourself I'm in pain. I mean, so what was the what what did we discover last night through the meditation? I yeah. think if there's anything we huge. can state, I this could be the statement. I think it's huge. And it, it connects to number 28 here and number 36. So maybe I'll just read a little part of each of those. Pain is an evil either to the body, so let the body give its evidence, or to the soul. But the soul can preserve its own clear sky and calm voyage by not assessing pain as an evil. Every judgment, every impulse, desire, and rejection is within the soul, where nothing evil can penetrate. So that's one. And then I'll just read this first line. Do not let the panorama of your life oppress you. Do not dwell on the various troubles which may have occurred in the past or may occur in the future. Then remind yourself that it is neither the future nor the past which weighs on you, but always the present. So... Yeah, we, we did a we did a guided meditation with Sam Harris last night, and the first time I heard this, I would say, was the deepest moment of holy shit that I've had. One of the deepest during meditation. I mean, I've had a few, but this is one of the ones where I saw this for the fact that it is. And, and what he says is, when you're sitting, maybe you have your legs crossed, you've been sitting for 20 minutes, you start to get uncomfortable. He says, yeah, if you're uncomfortable, if you're feeling pain, move. Like, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with moving. But it can also be useful to not, to experiment with not moving, to, to just actually sit with the discomfort and the pain. And the reason is because all human life is bounded by tragedy, and we're all living in a apocalyptic story to some extent. We will all hit the wall at 100 miles an hour at the end with the rusty hooks and the nails and the fucking bullshit, and we're going to die, and we're going to feel a ton of pain on the way out unless we get A-bombs, so we're, it's going to suck. And so the thing is train yourself to, to realize that wait when you sit when you're sitting there and you're feeling pain and you say I can't do this I can't handle this pain or the pain it, is too much the pain is too much it's actually a lie that's a lie as Jocko would say it's an excuse and it's a lie and the reason it's a lie is because in the moment that you're saying that you've already borne the pain yeah. you've, you're, you're bearing it in that moment if you're not moving, you're just saying, I can't do this, I need to move, you're dealing with it right now. So just keep going. Onward. Onward. Yeah. And you just keep acknowledge what the pain is. But it, you're right, you're already, you've already, you're already succumbing to it. Right. It's already too late. It's almost saying, how are we going to avoid the avalanche as the snow is already making its way down the mountain? Right, you're, it's already it's like coming the, down. The avalanche Wait, we should go a different way. It's, it's like, like the avalanche already, is occurring right now. Right, right. Yeah. I think I think that's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I I think, and I mean, you can apply that to any type of pain. You can apply that to emotional pain. You can apply that to overwhelming grief and sadness. And I just I can't move on. I can't take another step. Well, you just took one, so do it again. It's, yeah. it's just it's like the deepest thing I've ever heard. And going right off of that. Number 47, if your distress has some external cause, it is not the thing itself that troubles you, but your own judgment of it. Yes. And you can erase this immediately. And just that other line, I like that. If it is something in your own attitude that distresses you, no one stops you correcting your view. Yeah, yeah I mean, you think about it, you're bringing Going your... back to pain. Yeah. I mean, that's something of your own attitude. To sit there and to wallow in pain and say the pain is too much. 
that could just be your attitude towards pain. Right. No one, but if you were to just say, well, it's just my foot hurts. All right, my foot's telling me it's not doing good. Right. Uh, and you're, and you're, you're fearful of the next moment yeah. where it's going to presumably hurt again. And I, I think <laughs> a big way is how do you direct it towards yourself. So instead of saying, I'm in pain, and saying, oh, I think I tweaked my ankle. There's a difference. Yeah. It's like you're putting it into your ankle. You're acknowledging it for what it is. Oh, I think my ankle got a little tweaked and it's yeah. not, you know, I'm feeling, feeling something there, some different. Pain, yeah. yeah, a little bit of discomfort. It kind of hurts a little bit. But you're not saying I'm in pain. You're not succumbing to it. You're acknowledging the pain for what it is, where it is, and making it nothing more. And then, of course, we're going to have people who hear this and say, all right, well, that works for tweaking your ankle. But what about when you get your arm cut off or something? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, true. I mean, fair enough. But still. Still just a sensation you're of the body. Alive, right? You're still alive, right? You're still alive. You're still alive, so the pain is happening now. Endure and overcome. Yep. Onward. Onward. All right, book nine. Let's see. Ah, all right, so we wanted to talk about numbers one and two here. Here's where we can probably talk about justice. So I guess I'll just read that full number one and two, then we can talk about it. Justice is sin. When universal nature has constituted rational creatures for the sake of each other, to benefit one another as deserved, but never to harm, anyone contravening her will is clearly guilty of sin against the oldest of the gods, because universal nature is the nature of ultimate reality to which all present existence is related. Lying, too, is a sin against the same goddess. Her name is Truth, and she is the original cause of all that is true. The conscious liar sins to the extent that his deceit causes injustice. The unconscious liar to the extent that he is out of tune with the nature of the whole, and out of order with the nature of the ordered universe against which he fights. And it is fighting when he allows himself to be carried in opposition to the truth. He has received the prompts from nature. By ignoring them, he is now incapable of distinguishing false from true. So I guess, so this is another instance where we find ourselves saying, mm, I don't know if I agree with uh, Aurelius here. And, they, and it's because we, we've, even in the first six books, we encountered a few times where he listed these virtues that all men should embody and if they hope to be good and and that there are no sort of contrary virtues to so bravery is one of them and self-control and this other one he throws in there is justice and fair enough but as portia demonstrates in the merchant of venice to shylock there's a conflicting value with justice and that's mercy and sometimes those two virtues are in direct competition with one another the father has his daughter raped and murdered by a guy and they catch the guy and then they find a tumor in his brain pressing on his amygdala and that's exactly why he did it does he deserve the death penalty does he does, is justice the right virtue here or is mercy the right virtue here and it's very hard to say and it's actually those are two competing virtues where you need to find some balance so my question is it does it ever become a point where giving mercy is just is justice? Because here's my mm. my example. Um, 
Jocko Willink, we'll bring him back into the conversation, yep. had a podcast on um, experiments that were going on in the Japanese Imperial Empire, mm-hmm. uh, Imperial Age or whatever. Yep. Um, this is during, between World War One and World War Two. they were doing plenty of experiments with Unit 713. I think that was the number, yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. I think it was 713. Awful experiments that were um, pretty much talking about um, biological warfare um, and how on, on humans on humans yeah. testing humans testing um, like live dissections some of the to, to, for me to even try to summarize it right now <laughs> is I, it will do no justice to the the horrors of this experiment if you're interested look up Jocko Welling's podcast yeah. it's within There's one of the last book that he's talking about there that's an absolutely just harrowing account yeah. of this experience now when the Russians to uh, freed the prisoners of one of these camps they actually gave all of the doctors up to the prisoners after seeing what they were doing to these prisoners and they even told the prisoners do with them as you wish and gave the prisoners the option to do whatever they wanted to the doctors and I mean these prisoners to even say they saw hell was an understatement and they chose to walk away and the reason doing so, their, their statement they made was, if we would act on them in any way to cause harm, we would only be doing becoming one step closer to their level. Yes. And therefore, by granting them mercy, they are left to live the rest of their life with knowledge of what they have done. And therefore, is that justice that probably the greatest harm you could do to them is to actually make them live as long as they can acknowledging what they did is that a form of justice granting someone mercy does that become justice this is where i think that's a great uh point this is where things become extremely difficult for me because (coughs) what i'm about to assert is quite radical and I'm about to say that I actually am not so sure that justice is ever the right virtue to have in mind. I'm at, I actually think mercy is always better than justice. And the reason that I think that is because we don't have free will. And when you realize that justice makes no sense. And retributive justice especially and even even so so what they did was merciful, but from another angle, it was justice, and it was let them live with the pain. Even that, although I agree, they're hideous, they suck, can't believe they did that, it's still the wrong value to have running on our software because, because, the free because they weren't the ultimate authors of their actions. And you could say that's bullshit, you could say it's exculpatory, and yes, they did choose, and they continued the experiments, and, they, and they, there was peer pressure, and there was all this stuff, but at the end of the day, no one knows why they're doing anything, and no, and no one knows where their thoughts and motivations and intentions oh, and yeah. actions come from, and it's just, that's why I don't think justice is ever the answer. Even like the, 
the eye for an eye crap. Like you killed the, what happens in tribal cultures where you killed my dad, I'm gonna kill your brother, justice. I'm gonna kill your brother, I'll kill your cousin. Goes on forever. Justice never ends. Mercy is the only thing that can stop the ball. So what right. happens about people who go to jail even in today's terms. Like, yeah, and I don't disagree with the fact that some people need to be walked up. Some people need to be separated from society for the good of everybody else and for themselves. If you're out here, you're clearly just gonna, if you're not remorseful, you're not, here's the, this is the thing. This is if, if you commit a crime of passion and you kill somebody and you are, I mean, I don't wanna say weeping because it just sounds like, oh, they're crying or whatever. No, but you're, can't believe I did that. I acted so out of touch with who I normally am. I would do anything with my life to fix that, to do whatever I could to rectify this situation. To me, they're going to end up with time in prison in our culture and fine, but I don't think it's right. I, I really don't think that that's the, what prison is for. Prison is to take those people that will not change and remove them from society for the good of everybody. Because if they're still in society, you don't have to hate them. You don't have to say, you deserve this. You don't have to say, but for everybody's good, you're just gonna keep killing people if you're out here. And you, like, we don't want that for you, as Jordan Peterson says, because it's a lowly position in hell to be filled with that much malice and malevolence and to be allowed to act on it. But also for the good of all of us, we wanna be safe. And we don't want you out here causing havoc on everybody. Justice need not work into the equation. Revenge need not work into the equation. Vengeance, hatred, none of that. Interesting point. So, not a popular position, but sort of what I'm becoming a lawyer to fight for, so. I think to keep us directed on the book, yes. I would say I'm gonna let those words just kind of hang Absolutely. there. And yeah. if anyone in the audience wants to leave a comment or Definitely. to even leave their perspective, I wasn't aware even that I was gonna push back against justice that hard, but I realized that actually that was my problem. Like I kept saying it's in conflict with mercy, but it's actually not in conflict with mercy. Mercy is just the virtue. Justice is not the virtue. Yeah. Justice is a lowly virtue. It might be a virtue in the sense that you wanna teach a child that if they do something wrong, they need to make up for it. And the reason they're making up for it is because well, still, I wouldn't use language of justice, but it's kind of like that. You need to right your wrong, and but that's a better way of thinking about it than justice. Like, yes, I'm, the other person's getting justice on on you by making you drop to your knees and bow. Like, that's not what it is. It's you're but just, to give you're them freedom to right their wrong. Right. I like that. The responsibility. The responsibility, you have a responsibility of right the wrong. So maybe in that situation with jail, is there an alternative where they're taken away for a bit? Say, so, yeah, man, you got it. You're, going, you're going, going there. For, treatment. Right. You're going there for five years. I hope you read a ton of books. Here's some Aurelius. Yeah. Here's some everything else. Take some time. Make sure you come out and you crush it when you come out. Mm -hmm. But the problem is jails are, we, we, put, we put people who get caught with marijuana in with people who have committed murders. And it's just like, and we put people who have committed murders because they hate humanity in with people who have committed murders because they were hammered. And it's just like, well, there's a, there's a big spectrum yeah, that we're we got not, a problem here. <laughs> we're not getting very specific about yeah. the actions of these people. We're right. putting them all in one big category. Because the law just says you kill five to ten years or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not adequate. Interesting. Yep. Very interesting. All right, point. so we'll leave, we'll leave that there. Uh, should we move to book ten? <laughs> we're almost exactly at 20 minutes for the three. We can sort of cap off book nine if we have anything else here. 
Uh, all things are in the process of changed. You should leave another's wrong where it lies. Don't make there was it, a don't statement here that we wanted to talk about. What number? Number four. So anyone who is not himself indifferent to pain, pleasure, pain and pleasure, death and life, fame and obscurity, things which universal nature treats indifferently, is clearly committing a sin. So I know this is a touchy word, the word sin, and yeah. I know that immediate, one thing we've stated many times is we, by no means do we look at this book as a, a uh, one wise man finger, weight wagging his finger at us, telling us that there is one right way to live a life. We look at it as a insightful and deeply articulated opinion of, I would say, a wise man. And really just thinking of what, what useful tools can we, can we take from the text. So when we think about this line, the idea that anyone who is not indifferent to pain and pleasure, death and life, fame and obscurity, what do you think he means there by committing a sin? Well, I think what he means is that you're not living in in union with nature. Nature. And because nature actually doesn't... Here's where it gets sticky, though. This actually just occurred to me. Because nature doesn't care about your pain or pleasure or death and life and fame and obscurity. But it also doesn't care about your love and your compassion. This is where it gets sticky because, I mean, you could maybe say it does, but it depends what we mean by nature. But the, the universe doesn't care about any of your internal life so it's really i mean he he doesn't say that he's suspect of love or compassion or any of those it's actually good things but that's kind of to me in some sense it's you're having your cake and eating it too see what i'm saying or no am i being unclear well i get what you're yeah. saying so he did, nature doesn't care about your compassion or affection that's what you're saying that if that's why, that's why even talking about this nature, capital N, universe, capital U, God, capital G, in the end, it gets sticky because it's, why are we, why are we reverting back to that? Why can't we just say languishing over such things as death and pain and pleasure, that, that those are different than filling yourself constantly with compassion and love. Like it's, it doesn't matter what na how nature views, it doesn't matter how the guy in the sky views it. What does it mean for a good human life? And what does it mean for your own mind? So is it possible to be in accordance with nature and to live in accordance with nature, but to have no compassion or affection for the world? Is that possible? Because that's, that's an interesting point, because that's what I'm thinking of, is if that's possible. Yeah. If, can you live in accordance with nature in the way Aurelius is stating? but feel no compassion or affection with the world. And would that go against anything else he is stating? Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm saying we have to wonder if living in accordance with nature is actually the right question or the right concern. It's almost like asking what's the purpose of life or the meaning of life. It's the wrong question. I, I really just, I'm gonna copy Sam Harris's language here because this is what I believe. It, it, it's, that's not the right question. We have an opportunity. We have a we have a 
we have an opportunity in front of us to either live extremely well or to live extremely poorly and constantly fretting death and giving in to pain and giving in to pleasure. Those are valleys on the moral landscape. Feeling endless compassion and love for other beings, those are peaks. And it doesn't matter really what capital N nature thinks. Nature's gonna move forward. Nature's moving forward anyway, yeah. You're gonna, it's more, what, what's the effect on your mind? What's the effect on other minds? What do you what, wanna strive for? Yeah. So and, I, I think if you were to live without compassion or affection though, you were, I would say in many, you have to be giving in to other you would, passions. You would have to be. As Aurelius states, you'd have to be giving in to other passions, which he's already stated is. So I, I guess that, but he, I think he stated that too, that affection and compassion is separate from everything else. Yes. Where here he's talking about feeling indifferent towards pain and pleasure, which we've touched upon. Mm-hmm. Feeling that pain and pleasure are two experiences, but almost feeling like you, you desire neither. You just accept nature. Right. You accept what comes and goes. And you desire neither. Now, death and life. I desire... I don't desire to live, and I'm not afraid of death. I feel indifferent. I just go with nature. Fame and obscurity. I don't want to be popular. And I don't care that no one I don't one care that me. no one knows me or that I will be a, just a speck of dust. So those all, those all pertain to nature. Yeah. Because nature moves forward, and those are distractions away from that. Compassion and affection, I don't think necessarily is a distraction, though, in my opinion. I think that's a whole separate thing in itself. I think that's where he comes to your directing mind in feeling, in order to feel indifferent towards these things, your directing mind must be in the present and to be in accordance with nature. To choose to be compassionate and affectionate is a, a decision made after you have made the decision to be in accordance with nature right, in a way. Right. To choose to be compassion, compassion or affectionate is the, the next step, which I think is what you're stating. Yeah, I think I, I think I threw us off the ball a little bit because I think our original bone to pick was whether the things you just outlined, whether not understanding that is sinful. And because that's what he was stating. He's saying if you're afraid of death, if you're giving into pleasures and pain, you're living in sin, clearly. And I think what he means by living in sin is you're not living living in accordance accordance to nature. Yeah. Now, I think what what you stated, though, is a great point. I think it's something really noteworthy here that the idea of living with nature... Okay, so if there is a flat spectrum, let's think of the equator. Yeah. Okay, let's just... Okay, so you got a flat line. And everything that is valued as bad is going below the line, and everything that is valued as good is going above the line. And if let's call that a peak, right? And if compassion and affection at that peak, you choose to walk the line. Right. You choose to walk with nature already, feeling indifferent towards everything he has stated here. Right. But to choose affection and compassion does not take you off your path to nature. It is different, as you say. It is separate, as you say. And I think Aurelius states that as well. That it is another decision, a conscious decision, to go beyond the accordance of nature, but to live with your full potential under good values. Right. Okay, so this is where I'm just going to, I'm going to mimic Sam Harris again, but it really is. It really is just what I think. And it's, 
I don't have a huge problem with thinking about it in this way in terms of living in accordance with nature and committing sins, but what I think is that there's actually just a better way to think about it. And and giving into these things can be looked at as a value. And it's, it doesn't matter. It's not about living in accordance with nature. It's about missing out on an opportunity. You have this opportunity of consciousness and life, and you can fill it with blissful things and good things and compassionate things, or you can languish in pain constantly. And you can. And it's just, it doesn't, it, it's not that the issue isn't, oh, wait, I'm not in accordance with nature or I'm being a bad person. It's no, you're just... You're just blowing it. You're just missing the opportunity. That's actually what I think matters. Like, we don't need to talk about sin and and because that's when you start saying, oh, wait, are they, is there punishment for sin? Or is there, eh, we, don't, we don't. Well, I think sin, sin's a tough word here yes. in, this, in this paragraph. Whereas even when I'm talking, so yeah. No, I mean, it's a, yeah, that's, yeah. It's a it's, fair point. To some extent, it's just a semantic quibble. But yeah. also, I just think how you think about these things can have an important impact on you. It, it, that's similar to how I think about the no free will thing. It's it's not it's not judgment. It's I not, mean, I think all, I do think though that getting caught up in these, what he is saying here is feel, what you should feel indifferent towards, is going against the movement of the world. Yeah. In a way, to to get caught up in my pain. In a way, is to not endure it. It's to. It would be me taking a second to just say, like, "Oh my God, I'm in pain." I mean, it's almost thinking of my future. It's yes. being afraid of the next I'm just, moment. What I'm saying, I agree with that. What I'm saying is, that's not what matters. What it doesn't matter. So to think in accordance of nature is not what matters. No, that's, and that's I know I might have. I know I might have sounded like I said the opposite last time when we talked about the river and everything. We talked about all that, and I think that there's a utility in that, and there's a use in that. But when it comes to what really, really matters, it's not whether you're living out of accordance with nature. It's not the world that matters. It's your conscious experience as a conscious being and everybody's conscious experience. So it doesn't matter really that you're jumping out of the river of the unit. It matters that jumping out of that river will have a negative impact on your conscious but experience. That's being what Being in your conscious experience, aren't you in accordance to nature by doing that because you're a part of the present moment? Yes, you, so that's what I'm saying. You are, but I'm saying in terms of what we're gonna emphasize, I don't think that that's the part that matters. Like what matters is the experience and the opportunity. But I think to give yourself the experience and to succumb to the present, is to be the epitome of being in accordance with nature. Yeah. I think I think we're saying the same thing. We are. I'm just I'm talking about a matter of emphasis. And I'm talking about how you want to go through your life thinking about it. You don't want to say, oh damn, I just experienced that pain. I'm out of accordance with nature. I'm sinful. No, no, no. That was a moment of missed opportunity. That's what that was. I could have not felt pain in that moment. I could have had a better experience. I could have been a stronger person. I could. That's what matters. It doesn't matter, oh my God, I sinned against the universe. I'm out of accordance. Well, I think, so my thing is, I think it's the same statement. I think by, I don't, by, uh, I think by not being conscious with yourself. It's the to, same effect, but not, I don't think it's the same Well, I think statement. to not be centered with yourself in many ways, what Aurelius is stating, but I do agree with it, I think, is that you're not centering yourself with what everything around you, with your connection to the world. Yes. You're not centering yourself to how you can connect with the world and your relation to the world, and therefore you're not centering yourself with the world itself. Yes. So therefore, you're, by not centering into your own self, you are also not centering into everything else. I'm just saying the everything else doesn't matter. It's a second, <laughs> it's a second piece, but yeah. I think even it doesn't matter, but it 
It does when you are centered, though, because you're grasping everything around you. And as through Jordan, your experience. And as Jordan Peterson might argue, in so doing, you're making the world better. In so doing, you're moving everything forward by by being the best person that you can be. And that's what actually has effect on being itself. And maybe his kind of argument is maybe we can actually reach heaven that way. And that's the part where it's like, but that's actually the, that's where it might matter. So this is, I mean, first of all, that was awesome, but we should move on to book 10. Yeah. This is this is one of those instances where it would be fun if we actually had an audience that could chatter about that a little bit and throw their weight behind one of us or the other. And yeah, no, that, I mean, I think, yeah. that, I think it's interesting. I yeah. think that there's, it's almost a word. It, 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 it sounds so clearly that we could just be arguing a wording, but there's also a statement of two different states of being. That's exactly that. The, it's I exactly think, the type of thing where a different inclined person, someone who doesn't think about these things that much, will say, you're, you're saying the same thing. You're not, you're not really arguing, but, but I think it matters. I think the way that we talk and think about we, these things I think we are matters. saying something differently. But it easily could come off. It's like tough the same to say. Thing. It's tough to yeah, say. It's, and it's tough to say from an effect wise what would be different. But that, that is interesting. Yes. I don't know so. if we're saying two different things or we're saying the exact same right. thing. It's That's very what's tough. tough. That's what's tough about everything we say in life. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, book ten. Onward. Onward. Alright. Um Book ten. This was my favorite <laughs> book, actually, I think. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna read this first part here, this first section, the entire thing, because what I wrote next to this one is, this is a, this is a prayer. This is a prayer that should like go on the wall, and not a prayer in the sense of God's going to answer it, but in the Jordan Peterson sense, in the sense that it'd be good to sit down and say this. Every now and Are you talking about the beginning? Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to read this thing. I mean, I think it's just a character building thing. So. My soul. Will you ever be good, simple, individual, bare, brighter than the body that covers you? Will you ever taste the disposition to love and affection? Will you ever be complete and free of need, missing nothing, desiring nothing, live or lifeless for the enjoyment of pleasure or time for longer enjoyment or amenity of place space and climate or good company no will you not rather be satisfied with your present state and take pleasure in all that is presently yours will you not convince yourself that all your experience comes from the gods that all is well and all will be well for you all that the good see fit to give you now and hereafter in the maintenance of that perfect being which is good and just and beautiful, which generates all things, sustains and contains all things, embraces all things as they dissolve into the generation of others like them. Will you ever be such as to share the society of the gods and men without any criticism of them or condemnation by them? Alright, so one reason I love this is, as we've talked about a number of times, a lot of people who don't like to think about these things that much look at someone like Marcus Aurelius or Jordan Peterson or arguably even us because we're spending hours on end talking about these things and, and they say, who do you think you are? Like, who, who do you think you are saying that you have things figured out or that you've reached some sort of... Or that there's one way Or that there's one way that you've sort of figured it out. This is Marcus Aurelius in book 10, probably nearing the end of his life, because he was writing this sort of at near the end of his life. He's on book 10 now, he's sort of nearing the end. And what he's saying here is, 
will you ever be acceptable? Will you? He's saying, you suck. He's saying, he, what he's saying is, what Jocko was saying yesterday in the, in the, the what's that video called? Uh, I forget what it's called, The War Path. It's that being the best you can be is not a, a one moment thing. It's not a hack, it's not a trick. It is a daily grind. There's no shortcuts. And, and there's no shortcuts. And Marcus Aurelius here is saying, you know what, man? Maybe on this morning, maybe he woke up fucking hungover. Maybe he, like, beat his meat last night five times or whatever. And maybe he just blew it yesterday. And he's saying, will you ever live up to the things you wrote about for nine books here? And we all can understand that, dude. We all can understand having lofty values and virtues and aspiring to be the best we can and failing. And then saying, will you ever, will you ever make it? Will you ever be the person you are supposed to be is it are you even fully capable of it yeah you know and and that's humility it's it's being humble and, and that's why people are so wrong when they say that people who express their opinions force forcefully or think they have things figured out are not humble or that they're arrogant or egotistical because i think in most cases it's actually the opposite the people who are well we're going to talk about this actually in our other podcasts today, so I don't want to. I, I I think that it is one thing Aurelius is making a statement of here. It's that he that the the idea of human nature is actually it can cause distractions. It causes <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it causes places for you to get off track, and there. What's <laughs> <laughs> so funny? I don't know. <laughs> I can't escape the fact that we're criticizing Marcus Aurelius. Well, okay, yeah. so I think what's, what, what he's getting at is that the human nature comes with so many distractions. Is it possible for a human to go <laughs> move on, onward? I'm collapsing here, dude. We gotta move on. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> Is it possible to even live that life to its, to its purest? I am. <laughs> Onward. Okay. Number eight. Ah. Claim your entitlement to these epithets. Good. Decent. Truthful. In mind, go on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what number are we on? <laughs> we gotta get back. This is what I'm saying. Human distraction, human nature pulled us off our path. Yes. <laughs> and I would say too that I would say too that it's okay not to take yourself so serious all the time, and I think that that's maybe part of what Marcus Aurelius was talking about here. And it's not even that prayer that will I ever be good. There's not a even that I would say isn't a finger wagging at himself. It's just a it's just an effort to be better in the next moment. It's just will I ever will I ever reach the height that I 
sort of set out for myself, but the reality is none of us will actually ever reach the height. We'll never be the best that we could be. It's just an incremental progression. And therefore it it becomes a necessity to have a statement or a moral landscape or a, a guidance in a way, a set of principles maybe that helps guide you throughout your life. And I think that's what's important is that human nature can diverge you. It can distract you. It can take you off your path. And it's only human to do so. And he doesn't look down on anyone who gets so distracted, so torn off the path. He doesn't, we even, that podcast we discussed yesterday of the guy who went to prison and explained his whole story on how he went down the wrong path. Yes. It was a grad, the, the, just like Jocko mentioned how there's a, a gradual push on the good path, the war path. The other paths, I think there are shortcuts, but they are paths themselves. They, and the destination to hell, it, it could be a long way to get there, but it could also be a short way to get there. Yes. It's, there's many shortcuts, but it, it's only a human roads. It's human nature. It's, it is fully capable. We are fully capable of going there. And if we're not too careful with ourselves, and if we don't hold ourselves at enough um, of a standard or, or with enough responsibility, I think it's much easier to fall in one direction. Right. And, and this is actually this is actually a Christian idea that I've heard expressed in in something I haven't thought about this in a while, but in that statement that a wayward sheep will always be accepted back in the flock. Yes. And and and, th- and this is no matter how far off the path you get, the path will always be there. Yeah. And you can turn around at any moment. And he's and, encouraging and, you to even teach. Yes. You see someone, don't judge them, don't criticize them, don't treat them like they're less than human. Teach them get them back on the path right and he acknowledges that to see everyone as a an equal even the people who have done wrong severe yeah. wrong too yeah. Yeah. exactly all right so consider each individual thing you do and ask yourself whether to lose it through death makes death itself any cause for fear so in one sense that's just another moment of Aurelius peeking his head through the curtains and saying you're gonna die but in another in another sense (laughs) it's in another sense it's saying make each moment count and do each individual thing make each individual thing you do so consequential and important and fulfilling that you actually do fear to lose it I think he would say so here's a lot of points here about the idea of I have this paragraph the parts of the whole all that form the natural complement of the universe must necessarily perish and perish should be taken in the sense of change now if nature made this perishing of the parts detrimental to them as well as necessary the whole would be poorly maintained when its parts are always on the way to change and specifically constituted to perish. But if someone abandons the concept of nature and explains these things as just the way they are, how absurd it is to combine the assertion that the parts of the whole are naturally subject to change with surprise or resentment as if this change was something contrary to nature, especially as the dissolution of each thing is into the elements of which it is composed. I, I, there's a lot of emphasis in this section where he talks about 
break down the nature of how it came to be, how it is composed, and look at it as its full life, its, its entity. Look at a tree and see the acorn. Look at a, I don't know, a, look at an adult criminal and see the child. Yes, yes. See, see how anything can transform and how it came to be. And don't just look at the criminal and say, well, he's just a criminal. Fuck that guy. Screw him. See how he got off the path. You know, and, and don't, and I think a big part is, of it too is, don't ever be surprised to look at something and to say, how is this real? How is it in a, how is this even a part of nature? Don't even ever ask that question, he really states. He's like, don't ever be surprised. Always look at something and, and remind yourself, of how it came to be and how it's possible and I, I, I thought that was, I think he really makes a lot of um, statements towards that yeah in this book I, I, th I think that's really something to keep in mind as well to look at the world as I think I think that's a huge piece of living in accordance to nature looking at something that is in the present and acknowledging that nature has helped to propel this forward nature has been working and has gotten everyone else and everything else that where it is right now where it is in the present and don't be surprised by anything because if it exists by definition it's natural because it exists it exists it, yeah yes yeah. all right so i think i have one more little section here from book 10 that i think is crucial number 23 Always have clear in your mind that the grass is not greener elsewhere, and how everywhere is the same here as on the top of a mountain, or on the seashore, or wherever you will. Plato's words will you will find directly apposite. Walling himself a fold on a mountain and milking his flock when they when they bleat. And this is just this is this is another way of saying it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And this is just. How often, not just, I mean, dude, I'm getting better, but the number of times in my life growing up where I've said, hey, you know what? Actually, I've been doing it still. I've been saying it constantly. When the LSAT's done, I'm gonna be stress-free. I'm gonna be doing what I need to do. I'm gonna be this. But the grass isn't, isn't greener. It's the same everywhere. You're, you're like, you cannot be waiting for this future moment because all you have is this moment, and that, that's, that's all he's saying. But it, it's just it, the, the the gravity and the uh, the weight of that insight is just hard to hard to quantify. It is. It's yeah. really tough. I find my, I get caught up in my exercise routine where I'll be thinking of what I got to do each week, and be like, "That's a damn good routine. If you did that this whole week, damn, good job, dude!" Like, right. and I already start like getting so proud of myself for scheduling such a great routine. <laughs> That I'm almost giving myself a pat in the back already when I haven't even done the right. routine which yet. That, which I mean, I mean, there's some utility in that. There's some, I mean, to some extent, you got to plan. You got to put together a plan. Yep. You got to specify but your. But you aim. haven't done them. You haven't done, but you, you did the plan. You thought and of for, them for this moment. But I, I, okay, so in this moment, you thought of them and you're planning ahead. So that Good. suffices for this moment, but you don't. Good, you but don't. don't waste it when time comes. Yes. When in time comes to work out. So what my problem is that sometimes. I start to lose the motivation halfway through the week and then I see this, maybe this plan I had fall apart. Right. And maybe part of me is thinking, am I thinking too hard about the week? 
and not enough about the day or the hour or the hour yeah. am i procrastinating too much on the day but i have the great week planned do i yeah. reward myself too much after making preparations do i reward myself too much before i have even acted upon the pre the plan itself it's like you made such a good outline but the paper's not written dude you just exactly exactly and so well that's what's scary well that's what it's tough about outlines and schedules is that you are planning for the future and you're looking at that schedule and you're seeing your day. You're seeing the future. You're seeing, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And you're picturing it in your mind. I'm doing that and I'm yeah. doing that. But then you're also giving yourself this illusion of you doing it when you haven't done it yet. That's what's tough. Yeah. And that's where discipline comes in. Yes. Is, I think because I, I do get, get that there's benefit and utility in that. But if you're not going to, in my opinion, it goes to, I mean, it's talking the talk and walking the walk. You could think the thought. That doesn't mean you're walking the walk either. Right. Right. No, that's a, that's a very good point. And then in terms of a little more directly to what I think he means by the grass not being greener is <sighs> we, bo we both have an instance in our life, I think. I mean, me, I'm re repeatedly, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be doing what I need to do once I'm in law school. And you, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Like, once I do that, yeah. I will be what I want to be. Or once I complete all the 4,000 footers. No, no, no. What matters is my preparation right now. And what matters is the next 4,000 footer that you're doing. It's not the, it's not the fact that you will, it's not who you will be in those future moments. It's what you're doing right yes. now and i think well that's really important too how you tell yourself that like i i wouldn't tell yourself you know i'm going to be happy once i'm in law school because what you're doing is you're also telling yourself you're not happy right now but that's but I, it's the same so, thing you're doing with the appalachian trail though whether you frame well, it in yes. that language or the not. way i look at the appalachian trail is i do this curiosity of if i did this who would i be right all that is curious but it's all open-ended it's actually open beginning where to even contemplate doing it. To me, that's why I consider it a dream. I consider it, how do we, they put it in this poem? Yeah. If you can dream and not make your dreams your master. Yes. So if, if it's the dream. That's what this is. But yeah. it's not, I don't feel that it is my current state of being at the moment. Now, is it something to strive for? Yes. But I guess I ask myself, do you want to be there? Do you want to experience that? Instead of saying, wouldn't you be happier? Wouldn't you be, and instead of like trying to put a feeling on how you will feel once you've accomplished that, right. ask yourself, do you want to do it? Right. Do you want to even try it? Do you want to have the adventure? And leave the end open-ended. Right. Leave it so that even if you were to do it, it's that idea of maybe it'd be cool. Maybe. Right. Maybe it would work out for you. So, so don't tell yourself it's going to work out. But give yourself a direction and just say, I really want to try. Yeah. I want to do it. But don't have the idea of what the destination. Have the idea of the journey you want to do, but by no means define the destination. Right. By no means define what you were looking for. And let it happen as it goes. Absolutely. And I think the reason that it's important to keep this thought in mind is those pitfalls are all over the place. 
I mean, yes. I can't tell you how, how easy it is. Oh, if I could just get a 170 on the south side, if I could just get into Harvard, if I could just get into BC, if I could just become a lawyer, if I could just, and for, for you, if I, if I could imagine when I reach the end, I remember you said this to me last time, if I, if I could reach the end of that yeah. trail, I'll have no ego. Oh, my ego will have been busted down that entire time. Busted down right now. And, and, yeah. or, or feel like you're contributing to the movement forward of, of, of law and the, and the rectification of our jurisprudence right now. Like uh, what we just talked about on this podcast, something that many people don't think about. That's an effect right there. That's me living out my mission right now. That we're, we're breaking down our egos each time we do this. When we put an idea forward and the other one says, what are you talking about? And, and, and like this is... You can just do the dance right now. You need not wait for. But a good, another good example That's is I, I'm constantly, no, I I'm yeah. constantly making lists of things I have to get done. That's it's how I get things done. It's how we do things. But there's that feeling that can come in, like, oh man, geez, three more things. When I get those done, this is just like when we tripped that day. When I get those done, I can relax. When I get those done, I'll feel better. When I get those done, this anxiety will be gone. When I get those done, this fog will lift. When I get in and. No, like the so grass that's what's is tough not, is yeah. you, you can't define that the destination. Right, you, you have can't to you, define you how have you to feel. Be getting after it with a reason. With a reason and realizing that that's that's it. And, and you and, do it for the reason. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing. If it's like what Nietzsche says, anyone with a a why can, a why can endure any how. I mean, it doesn't even matter what the what is that they're trying to accomplish or you know where or it doesn't matter any of the, the exact logistics if they have a good enough reason and they have an opportunity to do it and they know how to do it or at least attempt to do it right and have a direction do it strictly because you had reason to do so but no other reason not nothing else propelling you forward only the reason in which in the present moment that's striving you to do that. And I think when you look at your schedule, maybe remind yourself, you know, and when I say yourself, I'm talking about everybody here. Right, right. I'm talking to the audience. Tell yourself, why do you want to do each thing? And really remind yourself, I am doing this because, and you just give that reason. And just shove it in there every second of the way. And if you, in the end, don't have the, the workout you wanted, it wasn't as good, or if you didn't wake up at the hour you wanted to, don't let that stop you from killing it the next moment. From giving, giving the grind, or you've taken. All right, but you have an opportunity now. Right, right. You woke up at ten. You missed four hours of the day that you could have had. All right, don't waste another second. Get after it right now. Right. Like you know. And and this is none none of this is to say I don't think that you shouldn't strive to become a better person. You shouldn't strive to become the person you want to be. And shouldn't strive, as Jordan Peterson would say, to become the person you're meant to be in the person that you actually are but you haven't developed yet it's just to say don't don't think that you're ever going to reach the shore because you're not you can you can progress in things but, but it's that that it's all process there yeah. is no there is no flag at the end there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow it's all the rainbow hell yeah yeah all right onward Book 11 onward Hmm. The rational soul. Ah, number four. 
So this is one, this is another thing that I have a little bone to pick with Marcus Aurelius. This is where we'll see if we disagree about this and might be a little much for our energy level at this point, but that's okay. A lot of times he'll say that what you have done, that everything should be toward the social good, right? You've heard him say that a few times. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, to the, the, the common good. And that gets yeah. sticky for me because that sounds like socialism. And it sounds like Soviet Russia where the individual doesn't matter. It's just the collective. And you can get into very, very, very sticky, awful, gross, untrue territory when you go down that way. But he makes a good point right now about the... It's not, that's not to say that it's never good to do things for the common good. But he has at times sounded like you actually don't matter. It's just the common good. And I think I, I don't like that philosophy. I actually think it's gross and wrong and, and subverts the individual to the collective. But an interesting thought on that is he says, have I done something for the common good? Then I too have benefited. Have this thought always ready to hand and no stopping. So that's a useful thought. I mean, it, it, you don't, I don't think you have to look at it the way he phrased it sometimes where nothing is good if it's not for the common good. But it is useful to flip that around and say, if I do something for the common good, because a lot of times we think in our in our society that there has to be this push and pull between the common good and this. It's like, oh, we take, ta we take, he's a great example. If we tax the rich higher, they say, what's in it for me? Like, I mean, it, why would I do that for the common good? No, it actually makes your life better because you're surrounded by less miserable people. Like, and then that's kind of, it benefit, like anything you do for the common good benefits you because you are part of the, the common. <laughs> I mean, you're not outside of it unless you live on Mars or something. Like we're all we're all part of this collective. So, I mean, I just think there's a different, I liked how he said it here better than how he said it a few other times. I think it's a different emphasis. And I, I think the other line of thinking is a dangerous path to go down. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, those are good points. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um, I don't really have much more to add. I think you, you summarized that pretty yeah. well. Yeah, all right. Um, number 16, maybe? You got one, got one you like? Number 13? Huh? Mm, I like number 13. Will you look for one? Should I read oh, 13, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone despises me? That is his concern. But I will see to it that I am not found guilty of any word or action deserving contempt. Will he hate me? That is his concern. But I will be kind and well intentioned to all, and ready to show this very person what he is failing to see. Not in any criticism or display of tolerance, but with gen with genuine goodwill. Here's one that goes with that. Yep. In your fits of anger, have this thought ready to mind, that there is nothing manly in being angry, but a gentle calm is both more human and therefore more viral. It is the gentle who have strength, sinew, and courage, not the indignant, mm or and complaining, the closer to control of emotion, the closer to power. Anger is as much a sign of weakness as is pain. Both have been wounded and have surrendered. There's a, I mean, I love that one so much and it connects a lot with one thing that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot and Jocko, is that being weak is obviously not a virtue. I mean, it's not, it, but being capable and strong and even ruthless, but then being gentle with that. That's true 
that's true virtue and that's yeah. that's what it means as kipling would say to be a man that, that's what it means to have integrated your personality fully and and i mean i would say that's what he's saying here and i think that's a that's a great one i i agree but, I mean, but he has that other part about indignation too but there's, well, there's just a great balance there i think i mean i think there's a great balance of i think that's a very stoic way of putting it you know a very almost to take away all point to have to express your emotions especially through anger those passions the aggressive passions but then to live life with a gentle connection towards the world to tell yourself to be gentle i mean there's there's a i mean there's i don't know there's a certain stoicism to that you know you think of like even certain people who have jobs where they handle things gently like painters and the gentle movement mm. and the amount of emotion and feeling you must have as a painter but then to see the actual physical like touch I think of that as like your touch upon the world like dancers or I mean there's so many like even carpenters do and the way that they're carpent do you think carpent. there was ever a great painting or a great dance recital or great that was done aggressively that was done with indignation and anger i think de aggression is easy to say it's easy to mm. say that someone was a but i would say actually i was gonna say that i think they definitely have but it's it's not someone who i do i okay so i think has there been good songs through indignation and ang yeah uh, yeah but if you were to compare those two people together who has more self-control the person who is using that indignation as a tool yes. and the person who is not as we talked about when we talked about the difference between passion and affection and intensity and relaxation it's not that you're being carried away by your indignation you have no control over the matter you're choosing yes. to use it you're, you're like you normally you have your sword you know how to use it and you generally keep it sheathed but right now you need it and so, you're using it so let's compare that yeah. you got two musicians one is very one's like a punk rock star who is just goes up on stage screams swears is clearly directing it towards something he's angry about and people are loving it dude and it's electric and it's alive and you go to the show and you're like holy shit that was crazy then you go to a show and a blues guitarist captures all that with the calmest stoic face but he captures all of it through the emotion of his guitar in perfect control of everything that he is doing and there's one solo where it breaks and it's just he's been so yes. together for 30 minutes and then he just breaks for three minutes and it's just but he chooses to do he that because he, yeah, he, he chooses yeah. he, he looks at his bass player and he says oh do, give me give me four bars right he's you been, know he's been shaking the bottle for yeah. 30 minutes and then he pops the top off Bam. here we go and he lets it but he chooses to control it now who's more powerful is my opinion now you got one person who their image or their re, what they give off to the world i would say it's is the, fueled by anger i would say it's the blues guitarist because he has other tools in addition exactly to yeah. exactly he can control beyond indignation where the other guy causes anger to become his identity right. as a musician that when that if he were to go on and start being calm 
you would ask the question of would it even be the same band? Right. Would it be the same show? Whereas the blues guitarist is showing he's versatile and very controlled his emotions and he has many he has many tools. Right. Exactly, yeah. I mean we 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 uh, we love the first guy for his anger. We love the blues guitarist for both his serenity and his willingness to let his emotions fly at times. There's a verse, I think you used the word versatility, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, he has a step-by-step -step process here, the, I call it the process it. of understanding and letting go. Is that the nine things? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this, how to, so. Well, we could like briefly, I guess, talk about each, well, I mean, we could walk through like. Some of the important ones, yeah, how to regard objects of, ex of experience, that's kind of what he said. Yeah, yeah. so first. Sure. How do I regard my relation to them and the fact we were all born for each other? And turning the argument that I was born to be their leader as the ram leads his flock and the bull is herd. I mean, so yeah, now he's talking about his relation, himself, yeah. yeah. But also Jocko, I mean, would say that like, we all should strive to be leaders. I agree, you may, yeah. You may not be a leader of men, but you can lead by example. In your yes, yeah. I agree. So, how do I regard my relation to them? Yes. Second, what sort of people they are at table, in bed, and so on. I, I think that's, that's also getting a gauge of situations. I think that's big because when we talk about meeting someone who didn't have the same value as you, it's getting a sense of, okay, when they're home, they like to talk more. It's who they are. That's who they are. This person, he doesn't sit in silence much at home. He wants to socialize. He really wants to socialize with me. That's who he is. Okay. And I'm acknowledging, what's my relation to them? I'm a roommate. Who are they and how are they? When I come home, they want to talk. And they, they like to talk a lot. And they clearly are trying to engage in conversation with me. Do I feel differently? Possibly. Yes. I'm still their roommate. That doesn't change. Our relation to each other has not changed. Now part three. If what they do is right, no is cause for complaint. Mm. If, if wrong, this is clearly out of ignorance and not their wish. So let's keep the example going. Yep. Roommate, he's talking. This is how he is. I'm, put, I'm coming back from work. I want to transition and you know, have a calm environment, you know, decompress. Mm -hmm. Roommates following me around the house, trying to start conversations like crazy. Just keeps it going, going, going. In what way could he, what his behavior could be considered wrong? I mean, like... Many. Many, many ways. Yeah. So, so let's start with, I, I think my biggest thing is not, I would actually say a fear. A fear of not talking. A fear of silence, a fear of his own inner A fear of abandonment. Insecurity. Yeah. It's a fear, I think when you get to the core of it, when you look at like a tree of trauma, yeah, yeah. what the, fear the are we talking about there? I think it goes right to abandonment. The fear of being alone. Right, right. Um, and therefore, he's not facing that fear. He's not accepting that fear. He's not acknowledging it. So it's just ignorance, and if he could see ignorance. it, he would not wish it for himself. So there's no reason to sort of spit on him. It's more just like, can I show him, yeah. or can I let him be? So. so so here, I mean, this is a great point for the, for the listeners out there. I mean, I think when you hear words these days of wrong, 
And when you hear words of ignorance, people take it so beyond. Yeah, man. Yeah. And right, because I, I mean, I hear those words wrong and ignorance. And then when I'm reading this, I'm like, those are big words. They really aren't. They really aren't because we are breaking down how even the roommate who's just yapping his mouth when you get home from work, even he is ignorant in some ways and therefore it could be considered wrong in some ways. Now, is he a human being and is what he's doing really that detrimental? No. No, it's not. But these terms can still apply. Yes, unless you're so deluded that you think you know everything. We're all ignorant as fuck. I, 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 do, I, I feel like ignorance yeah. is a word people throw around these days to yeah. point out a Yo, side. Like, people always say it. Like, when they it's point a out. It's Yeah, it's, it's this guy sucks. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's, this guy sucks. He's not with it. Yeah. He's not, like, he's intelligent. He's not woke. He's not woke. Yeah. Definitely. And, and, I mean, ignor acknowledging ignorance is obviously the first step to, to learning and to progression. So it's a shame that we view it in that way. Fourth. You yourself have many faults and are no different from them. That's so here's a big point. It's not a big deal. Okay, so it's not detrimental. Why? Because what he is doing is human nature. And therefore, we both are human. I have my own faults. So does he. So therefore, I'm not going to take this personally. I'm not going to take it and make it bigger than what it is. When I say that he is wrong and ignorant, I'm not making it a huge deal. I acknowledge this is a classic human quality. Dude, this one's even deeper than that, actually, I think. This one's so huge. This is like, this is the point of assuming the people you're talking to might know something you don't from Jordan Peterson. This is like, this is why it's so detrimental that we view ignorance in the way that you just outlined, because what we should all want is to acknowledge that we're all full of faults because it's human nature. And if I can point them out for you, you and you can point them out for me, that's we all win and that's the that's what we should want but for some reason we all grow when someone points it out for us we say what do you mean like oh but it's but it's like we we need to just say hmm you're right and yeah. then wait but you suck in this way and it's like huh i now maybe and i don't I, have to do that anymore i, I think that's <laughs> i think that's a big part the, the yeah. big thing with number four is to to if you're going to call someone ignorant acknowledge that you Be specific. Too, you yeah. too are ignorant. Yeah, yeah. That you too are ignorant. And to say that he is ignorant, oh, he's ignorant. And to act as if you are not ignorant in any way is ignorance. You are being ignorant by thinking that. Yeah. So therefore, it's, it's just, how do you be as least ignorant as possible as to actually acknowledge your own ignorance? Right. Which is, I mean, that's, I don't know, I think that's so important that he's saying here. By no means, I think why ignorance sounds so, it's such a big, the word sounds so big in this context is because this day and age, I think people often call people ignorant when they think that they think right. That what they think is, like, I'm correct. He's not. He's ignorant. And because we have, we have this idea that we're supposed to be experts on everything. Exactly. And, know everything, and it's like, uh, no. <laughs> we very few things. All right. Yeah. Fifth, you are not even sure that they are doing wrong. Many things are done as part of a larger plan, and generally, one needs to know a great deal before one can pronounce with certainty of another's actions. So, how are you even certain that your way of you decompressing after work, your silence here, 
you're saying no to this conversation. How do you know that it is not you who is being cold? Yeah, this is the one that gets Instead st- of him being social. This is the one that gets sticky for me. So, I mean, I think... What I think is... I, I think there's a point in that. Yeah, let's go... If we're talking about the roommate example here, where it's like, sure, you might know what you want, but even then... How about we go, we could even compare this to like, we talk about spending time with our family. And sometimes yeah. when we're on our schedules, we're running around and we're passing people and just saying, oh, hey, bye, bye, you know. And yes, that's our schedule. But it's so important to take time to show love. Yeah. And to give love and to make that time. And that's so important because if we don't do that, then how are we ourselves becoming ignorant to those people? Especially if we truly care about them. Yeah. And if we truly do cherish the time we can spend with them. You know what I mean? Like, so how is it that instead of me coming home and getting mad that my roommate's talking to me, I'm allowing myself, and and then, okay, so I want to be sit in silence and now all of a sudden I'm telling myself, okay, my roommate's wrong and ignorant because he's doing this. And all right, it's a human quality and I'm no different. You're also like to. You're also giving yourself permission to even have these thoughts of like, my way is better. I'd rather sit in silence, where you're not almost being open to the fact of what if you just talked to him for the next five minutes and then left from there. What if you put what you wanted off on hold or something for a bit, and rolled with what he was doing, went with what was going on around you. Instead of coming home and demanding silence and demanding that this is how you want to handle it, adapting to what's already going on in your environment and then going from there. You know what I mean? I definitely I definitely know what you mean. It's just... How can you say that your way is entirely right? Entirely Well, right? I don't think you would want to say that. I just think that if you become so amenable that you know that you put your concerns secondary in every moment like that you'll come out on but you'll you'll lose because you'll get dragged around by all the values of other people that i'm still not prepared to say might be equal but are actually blatantly below your value of silence like the gossip like it's like there's no there's no utility there's no there's no maybe my sign my instant uh insistence on silence is actually not better than this like in some instances it's pretty clear i take his point that sometimes you don't know that the other person is actually doing wrong could be part of a three-part plan like hey it looks like what i'm doing right now is nonsensical but it's actually part of a part of a plan like i'm yeah i'm lashing myself on the back right now to make myself stronger like it's like what are you doing but no i'm teaching myself to deal with pain oh okay but with something like gossip or video game we always go back to these things but there are certain things where it's Mm, there's no plan there. There's clearly no plan there. So this doesn't always apply. That's what I'm saying. Like it, true. And you shouldn't always question your, you shouldn't always question your own values so relentlessly and so perpetually that you end up in a type of nihilistic moral relativism where everything's just equal because it's not. And we've already sort of, I think we both agree about that. So, but that's yeah, tough. All right. So there's a good point. You're not even sure that what they are doing is wrong. You can still be certain that what you're doing is right for you. I'm, I'm saying I don't agree with that line 
in every instance. There are definitely lines where that's true, but there are also lines where you were positive what they're doing is wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> where, like, well, I think, if, if you're, I think if, the roommate is a very mild example. We can bring this up to an extreme example real quick. And bring <laughs> but I'm saying even in that yeah. example, if they're just, if, if you know every day you come home, they want to tell you about the shitty things that were done to them today and the, sh the shitty things that the other roommate did. There's no good reading of that. It's clearly wrong and it's clearly not helpful and it's clearly... I would say despicable, but it's clearly just not a, the way, it's not the path you want to walk, and it's like you don't need so to you don't need to path, burn it's any. It's not the path you want to walk, but does it make it wrong? Yeah. So I guess my thing is, what if you just said? It did. Remember, I don't like I don't like thinking of right and wrong. I think of it as a peak and a valley, and that's clearly a valley. Like it's not that it's wrong in any uppercase G sense. It's just that's clearly not a pinnacle of human experience. All right, it's not. You. It's not better to sit there and I'm trying to play devil's advocate. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think I think my devil's advocate is he's talking about what they are doing. Yes. So that's in accordance to what they are, their actions. Like, what have you just told your roommate? Sorry, dude. I don't want to. I don't want to gossip right now. Like, I'm just not about that. You're not saying that what you're doing, they're doing, is wrong. Right. You're just saying, uh, I got an agenda and gossiping. It's at six o'clock is not on the agenda. Not on there. So it's, def it's, <laughs> it's definitely possible that, first of all, I think saying something like that, if we all, it's like what you were saying when you were meeting, I, don't, I hope you don't mind this, but when, when you were meeting up with that girl the other day and you kind of just, it was a plan that you were going to sort of have another date and you just cut that off. And, and yeah. I, I love that honesty and I love that candidness and we lack that so much in our society I would love to be able to just look at somebody and say actually what you're doing right now I think it's bullshit <laughs> I don't want to take I don't want to take part in it but yeah. it, it, even just saying I'm actually not going to do that it's going to that is an implicit judgment on it like they, if they're thinking at all they'll say oh wait so he thinks that this isn't worth his time and he thinks that what I'm doing is wrong and then if they ask that follow-up question yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, I do think it's wrong. And like, it might not start is where you need to say, you don't need yeah. to say it's wrong right away, but if they think about it for two seconds, you're gonna get there. And I get, and, you, I get your point yeah. too, of taking it out of the context of the word wrong and just saying like, ah, it's not how I spend my time. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity, yeah. wasted time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, all right. Yeah. All right Sixth. Sixth. When you are high in indignation and perhaps losing patience, Remember that human life is a mere fragment of time, and shortly, we are all in our graves. <laughs> so he's like, so just remember, if you're getting too carried away at this point, and your passions are growing on you, just remember that you're going to die. So get some control of yourself, because yeah. you need to make every minute count. Yeah. All right. Just remember you're going to die. Seven. <laughs> it is not their actions which trouble us. Because these lie in their own directing minds, but our judgments of them. Hmm. Well, remove these judgments. Make up your mind to dismiss your assessment of some supposed outrage, and your anger is gone. So if you're even choosing to be angry, he's taking you down the road of your, if you're really getting to you. It's you who's choosing to be angry. It's not that they're, what they're doing is like necessary. It's not what they're physically doing that's bothering you. It's actually your willingness to be bothered by it right, is what's bothering we've you. We've been using this example the whole time, so we'll just stick with it, of the gossiping roommate. Let's imagine that he is sitting in the living room, maybe even talking to someone else, doing gossip. So there's this little, imagine a halo around them, this little circle of stuff you don't like and things that are maybe troubling. But it will stay right there unless you let your anger about it 
make that circle wider. You can, so if you avoid that circle, it's gonna stay just that small. And that, so that's actually not what's troubling you. What's troubling you is the idea that you could become part of it and that you could make it worse and that your anger could make it worse. Yes. And, and so that's, that's the idea with pain too. What's troubling you about that pain that. is that the pain is what the pain that's gonna come. The next pain. Right. What's troubling you about this gossiping roommate is that this gossiping roommate will set you off your path. Right. That, that you're going to succumb to it. That, yeah, that this will be part of your life in a way and you, it wasn't part of your path. And possibly that when you go into your room and close the door, the topic of conversation is now switching to you and how yeah. you think you're better than everyone. And like, But still, you need not let that trouble you. you, you why value someone who has low values? Eighth, the greater grief comes from the consequent anger and pain rather than the original causes of our anger and pain. I think that was pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty, a piggyback off number seven, yeah. Last but not least, ninth. Kindness is invincible. If it is sincere, not fawning, or pretense. What can the most aggressive man do to you if you continue to be kind to him? Kill him with kindness. I always, I mean, so this was a Christian thing I always picked up as a kid. The idea of if someone hits you on one cheek turn the other cheek and give them the other yeah almost of if you continue to be kind to someone they lose interest <laughs> they, they lose interest but it's almost they can't break you yeah i i think it carries with my job as well i could have a day where a kid really was a brat and just went out of his way to made the day really hard and it was difficult but if you have the ability to walk in the next day and pick him up from school and say Hey man, how you doing? With a good attitude. And if he sees that every single day that you are relentlessly coming back with positivity and kindness, he's it's eventually it's going to take too much energy for him to continue to be so angry at you. His tool is ineffective. His tool is ineffective. Yeah. Kindness is much stronger. It's more invincible. I agree with that. So, I know we're probably going to want to move on to book 12 and we're going to have a brief discussion on book 12 or did, was that was all nine right yeah we did yeah. that was 11 okay so i just want to make this one note here so i found this awesome blog recently called brain pickings where this woman i forget her name jenna something i think and but what she does is she just takes these great books a lot of them ancient books and a lot of just great texts like nietzsche and all that and what she does is boils it down she writes short essays on them and boils it down to their essence so maybe you don't have to go read the book you can read her articles because we all have a short time on this earth we can't read every book so sometimes it's good to go read a smart person's synopsis of the book <laughs> so i happened to open one of her articles and it was about marcus aurelius's meditations and the, I, I didn't read the whole thing but i read the first like paragraph and what she mentioned was something really interesting number 36 here um no thief can steal your will, said by Epictetus. Epictetus was a slave from the first century AD, and he was Marcus Aurelius's idol. He was like the guy that Marcus Aurelius based his philosophy off of. Like obviously he had a lot of mentors and influences like Socrates and Alexander the Grammarian and all these other people, but Epictetus was the one where he was like, that dude had it figured out. And I just thought that was really interesting because this dude was a slave. Yeah. And Marcus Aurelius was 
<laughs> the emperor of Rome. And it's just, he had enough humility to say, look at that guy. That guy knows what he's doing. And that guy was a slave. And he put down the beginnings of the ideas that became the beginnings of Marcus Aurelius' ideas, which became the beginnings of Western thought. Like, so it's, oh, I just, I was blown away by that fact and thought we could. And he also goes further him. to say epic, Epictetus, he also has another statement of him in the next paragraph. Yes. We must discover an art of ascent in the whole field of our impulses. Take care to, take care to ensure that each impulse is conditional, has a social purpose, and is proportionate to the value of its goal. We must keep absolutely clear of personal motivation and at the same time show no Disinclination. Di disinclination to anything outside our immediate control. Oh, yeah. I thought that summarizes so much of what Aurelius has already talked about. Yeah, that last line is, uh, is that popular cliche saying that's <laughs> so true. That's have, what's it? No, I'm going to butcher it, but it's have the recognize what you can control, recognize what you can't control, and focus on what you can control and have the wisdom to know the difference or whatever, however, yeah, however yeah. you're saying, that's what he's saying, dude. Like, don't, don't, don't take too much time or don't look too disfavorably on something that's out of your control, because why would you? It's a waste of time. So, all right, so book 12, we were saying that it's kind of just a summary book, but so maybe if there's any parts you want to read out of it, this is essentially the last thing he wrote before he died. I so think it is just summarizing. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's nothing really that sticks out that I think is not anything we haven't said already. It's true. Um, I'm going to flip real quick. and just. Make there's it. one great, I love this line. I mean, the model for the application of your principles is the boxer rather than the gladiator. The gladiator yeah, puts yes. down or takes up the sword he uses, but the boxer always has his hands and needs only to clench them into fists. Yes, yes. You always have all the tools you need. Just like your mind is all you have. And just like if you're going to be a meditative man or a, someone striving to be the best they can, you don't need... You don't need your phone. You don't need the wisdom contained in your phone. You just need your mind. You just need your temperament. Your, yes. Yeah, I thought that was great. And then number 25... I have like six stars next to this. This is just, he's been leading up to this idea, but this is what it comes down to. Jettison the judgment and you are saved. And who is there to prevent this jettison? It's all you. Your judgment, your attitude towards everything. That's, if you get rid of that, you're on the path. All right, man. So we'll finish by giving another little rendition of if. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken 
and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your long, your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back with the next book we're doing is actually Sam Harris's Waking Up. So we'll see you for that as soon as we get off our lazy asses and read it. Have a good one.